0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julia Spare's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 11th of January, and my name is Helen Freer. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved the first spot Bitcoin ETF yesterday. Carsten Menker joins us this morning to comment on this and what it means for Bitcoin. Nicola Jordan also joins us today to update us on the latest news from the CIO office. But we will start with a wrap up of all the latest market news. And for that, I'm pleased to be joined this morning by my colleague, Mike Rauber.
1: Good morning, Helen.
0: So let's start with the news um, that US regulators have, for the first time, approved ETFs that directly invest in Bitcoin, a move heralded as a landmark event for the roughly $1.7 trillion digital asset industry. And this is expected to broaden access to the largest crypto asset on Wall Street and beyond. Can you tell us a bit more, Mike?
1: Yes, uh, a very remarkable development in that getting a regulated listing on a regulated exchange is in the face of the original arguments for digital tokens, whose raison d'être was nothing less than the creation of a new financial system in the wake of the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And just to mention Ethereum, the second largest digital asset, it is up sharply today on speculation that it will be the focus of the next wave of crypto ETF products. But uh, you will get much more colour with uh, Karsten in a minute.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Um, turning to the bond market, investors placed record orders for Spanish bonds yesterday with banks receiving more than 130 billion euros. That's around $142 billion of bids for a 15 billion euro offering of 10-year bonds. Do you have a few more details here?
1: So this is really part of the large issuance by governments over the next several weeks as they look to finance their very high deficits. Governments from the US, UK, the Eurozone and Japan will start flooding the market with new issues in the amount of 2.1 trillion US dollars. That's a figure according to Bloomberg. Now, of course, this is raising concerns in some corners that government bond yields will have to rise for investors to absorb or buy these new issues.
0: But these concerns have faded a bit, now, mainly because slowing inflation has meant that investors are fixated on the idea that central banks will start cutting interest rates.
1: Absolutely. Uh, this brings us also to the main data release today, U.S. inflation. Uh, expectations are for it to have been up 3.2% in December on the year, uh, a little higher from a month earlier. But this should be really due to the modest rise in gasoline prices in December. Uh, we and the market expect the move towards lower inflation to resume uh, in the subsequent months, uh, supporting Federal Reserve rate cuts uh, down the road. Although the question seems to be more one of timing now. This was also the message from the New York Fed President uh, John Williams yesterday. And this helped the S&P 500 rise uh, for a gain of 0.6% in quiet trading uh, yesterday, Although I must add, uh, mid and small caps were left behind. And uh, today, in terms of market reaction to the inflation data, it could be somewhat more extreme than usual experts say. Uh, One level to watch is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, which is right at the psychologically important 4% level this morning.
0: Okay, now looking at the euro area, it seems that central bank officials are far from talking about interest rate cuts. At least this was the message from Isabel Schnabel yesterday. She's an ECB executive board member.
1: Indeed, uh, she said, and I quote, we will keep our key policy rates at restrictive levels until we are confident that inflation sustainably returns to our 2% target. And the vice president of the ECB uh, from Spain uh, noted that the inflation slowdown will pause for a short time at the beginning of the year. So with this backdrop, the euro shot up against the US dollar, and it is now just below the 110 level. And equity markets in Europe were also mostly flat yesterday.
0: You just mentioned the dollar weakness, and we're seeing this also in Asia, but this seems to be helping Asian equities.
1: Indeed, they're on their best day for the year so far, although the year is still very young. <laughs> the Nikkei 225 and the Hang Seng are both up in the 2% range. Now, Japanese shares are at a three-decade high due to the yen's weakness, but also the launch of an enhanced tax-free retirement savings programs that should bring more people into the market. This is actually just one of the structural reasons why our equity strategies really like Japanese equities. And in China, what is notable is that despite the downbeat mood, one can read this week more positive views on China's real estate dollar bonds, uh, a sharp contrast to late last year. Uh, now, let's see if this is start of something bigger or just a reversal from very downbeat levels.
0: Now, on to oil, because it had another choppy trading session yesterday on the back of supply fundamentals and the tensions in the Middle East. Can you give us some of the background here, please?
1: Yeah, so oil was a little softer on the day, uh, especially after US inventories unexpectedly swelled to more than 1.3 million barrels. Uh, This is the biggest increase since mid-December, indicating ample supply. But earlier oil was up as much as 2% after more reports of Yemen's Houthis launching their largest attack to date in the last two days on ships in the Red Sea. Uh, So this is really an evolving situation. Uh, although our research really sees oil uh, going a little weaker from current levels. Uh, Interesting on these attacks is that that means also shipping costs from China to Europe have more than doubled in recent months on the back of these attacks I just mentioned. But to put this in perspective, shipping costs are still 65% below levels during the peak of the pandemic. This is actually all from me, maybe just mentioning, I see European equity futures are starting the day on a positive note, so following the US and Asia, but of course, all eyes are on today's US inflation report.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Mike, for the nice summary this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Carsten, good morning, firstly. Good to have you on the show today.
2: Good morning, Helen.
0: So today we're talking about digital assets. Um, I talked about it briefly with Mike, because after a lot of back and forth, the US Securities and Exchange Commission finally approved a number of physically backed or spot Bitcoin ETFs in the United States yesterday. But prices actually didn't react. Why do you think that was, Karsten?
2: Well, that's very simple, uh, because the approval was very much priced in. So Bitcoin prices have rallied more than 80% since early summer last year, i.e. since the ETF topic started to gain traction. and Personally, I believe that the rather muted reaction should be seen as a positive sign, because given the nature of the Bitcoin market, I wouldn't have been surprised if the market had gone for buy the rumor, sell the fact.
0: But we have seen Ethereum rallying. Why is that?
2: Well, I believe the Ethereum market is now speculating on the approval of its own physically backed ETFs, which have been filed some time ago, And it really looks like the market doesn't seem to want to waste this opportunity of uh, pushing prices higher as well.
0: Okay. um, Back to Bitcoin and the ETFs, though. You highlighted Mm -hmm. before that you were expecting the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to approve multiple products at the same time, which has now happened. What does this mean going forward?
2: First and foremost, this means that there will be intense competition for assets. And this is good news for investors, of course, because fees will likely be low. Uh, Over time, they might actually even go lower as the product providers will try to capture as much market share as possible. This is because for these products, fees are the only notable differences in, in the structuring. So assets are sticky, brokerage, settlement and execution fees all add up. And once an investor purchases a share of a fund or an ETF, the likelihood of a switch is very low. So this is why gathering uh, as much asset as possible early on is very important. That said, I mean, if we consider the volatility of Bitcoin and the massive price moves it typically exhibits, how much of a difference does it make if fees are 0.5% per year or 0.25% per year?
0: Yeah, that is very true. Um, What about the demand for these products? Do you expect a wave of new money to come into the Bitcoin market?
2: Well, obviously, this is the billion dollar question. And I think it's very tough to answer. First, it is important to note that US investors already had the possibility to gain exposure to Bitcoin via futures ETFs. Then we already have spot ETFs in Europe and Canada since a few years. So, this US ETF launch is less groundbreaking than it may sound in the media, even though, of course, we're still talking about the world's biggest capital market. And last summer, in a report on the ETFs, we tried to classify investor types, including, for example, crypto natives, crypto hedge funds, crypto asset managers, traditional asset managers, and the average retail investor. Uh, Of those Many already hold Bitcoin and they have not been waiting for the ETFs. In fact, we think that the remaining possible investors are traditional asset managers and retail investors, which thus far may be refrained from entering the market due to the related technical complexities and or uh, regulatory restrictions. So in short, this suggests that a wave of money entering the Bitcoin market now because of the US ETFs is rather unlikely in our view. And by the way, this is also what the launch of physically backed gold products in the early 2000s suggests. Yes, there is demand, but it takes time for investors to move into the market.
0: Okay, and looking beyond this ETF story now, though, what does the bigger picture look like for Bitcoin?
2: Well, in fact, this, the fundamental backdrop seems very sound at the moment. So we observe long term holder accumulation slowing minor supply growth, and we're also heading towards the next block reward halving uh, in April this year. Plus, we have a very high conviction that the fastest and steepest US monetary tightening cycle has come to a close. On the flip side, we have to say that following the speed and the steepness of this recent rally, a consolidation is definitely in the cards.
0: Wonderful. Thanks very much, Carsten. Good to talk to you again this morning.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: And moving over to you now, Nicola, good morning and welcome.
3: Good morning, Helen.
0: So 2023 proved to be a bit of a roller coaster ride, as you expected. Let me start by asking you what your expectations are for this year.
3: Yeah, you're right. A lot has happened in the last 12 months. And I think the first thing to note at this point is that the starting point in 2024 is radically different than from that in 2023. The only thing that's more or less the same is the 10-year US Treasury yield at around 4%. The biggest changes, obviously, were seen in risky assets. US high-yield bond spreads narrowed significantly, mostly thanks to the year-end rally, and the S&P 500 rose by 24.3% last year. But in our view, the most important change in 2023 was the shift in the investor consensus. Throughout the whole year, we were comfortably in a contrarian position, ruling out a US recession as widely expected by most investors. It took the November rally and the Fed's December pivot to shift this consensus in our direction. As we still detect no early signs of a recession in the US, we and the consensus now see eye to eye. This can be a problem, because when the investor consensus is optimistic, market vulnerability increases. Why is that? Because it coincides with investors increasing their risk loads in portfolios, which makes markets more vulnerable in the event of external shocks.
0: So am I right to assume then that you're expecting another volatile year this year?
3: Well, on the macroeconomic front, the disinflation process seems intact. But if it were to be challenged during the year by an unforeseen trend reversal, this could definitely shake the investor consensus. That said, Even if expectations of interest rate cuts in the U.S. prove to be excessive, the markets should be able to shrug off this factor, as U.S. household balance sheets remain very strong and there is no evidence of structural imbalance. On the political front, the electoral calendar in 2024 is extremely busy, which could add some uncertainty, especially in the U.S., And finally, there are all the other risks posed by exogenous shocks, which by definition are unpredictable and could occur at any time. If such shocks materialize, they will be the main factor triggering spikes in volatility this year. Nonetheless, we believe that 2024 should conclude favorably for investors, meaning that the S&P 500 once again should end the year on a higher note.
0: And how is this all reflected in your current asset allocation then?
3: As we do not see any market internal reasons to reduce risk in portfolios so far, we have kept the asset allocation unchanged for quite a while now. We might start looking at some smaller positions that have been in our portfolios for some time in order to take profit and place some tactical bets if the opportunity arises. But so far, nothing concrete has materialized and we are very comfortable with the construction as it is.
0: Excellent. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you, Helen.
0: So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show and you haven't yet subscribed, then don't forget to do so. And please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back talking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbair.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in Germany. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.